I think I played cluck old hand for him or something. He said, ah, that'd be like playing for a Canadian barn dance. You know, our, our Irish fiddling is another thing entirely. Would you mind giving me a go on it? So I gave him the fiddle. He played Miss um, McLeod's reel in the key of G for about five minutes, and I had no idea that such sound was in this instrument. I thought it was good enough for me. I was uh, fond of it, but I had no idea it could speak like that. It just got an incredible sound from it. Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. I'm Joe McHugh, and this is part two of my interview with singer and multi-instrumentalist Jody Stecker. I was keen to ask Jody why, compared with other musical instruments, the violin gathers about itself so many stories, many of them with a connection to the world of the unseen. I'm fascinated by your, your interest and knowledge of fiddle folklore and all its different permeations. Anything you want to say about what is it about the fiddle that seems to gather to it this great, rich folklore? I, I think more so than other instruments, by and large. And what kind of stories and associations have you heard about the violin over time that just stick with you? And Well, so much. Um, in this country, there's... <laughs> certain places there's this association between the fiddle and the devil I think that's a mistake um, I think there's a much older association between the fiddle and the supernatural and it may be trolls in Scandinavia and fairies you know in Scotland and, and even demons I mean they're not friendly not usually they can be, but not the devil. Um, it, it is, this is an older thing. We do boat instruments. Oh, it's older than Christianity. And there were, there were other other boat instruments before the violin. They were still fiddles, though, you know. Um, I remember the first Cajun musicians I met, you know, when they heard that, they had never heard that. I said, What? You know, we're all church-going Catholics. What are you talking about? The devil? No, you know, and and they don't, they don't have that in Cape Breton. That's Scottish, you know, not at all. Um, but there is a link. There is a link to the unseen somehow. There's a link to. It's through the. The fiddle is somehow maybe more than other instruments for some reason, a, a link between this world and another. And it's, the belief is there anyway, and the stories are there. Um, the one thing the fiddle can do that the guitar cannot do, well, 
with really light gauge strings you can, but it can play a lot more than 12 tones per the octave. Hmm. Just like the voice can. And wherever you have traditional music where there's fiddle, the fiddle always plays the same intonation that the singers do. And that does not correspond to the frets of an instrument or to the, the keys on a piano. And it, and it does not correspond to any electronic tuner, all of which are wrong, by the way. I've got, used to have a photo a JPEG photo on my computer of an instrument peg head that had four different electronic tuners on it and the and the, the string was vibrating and they each registered something different. That's fascinating. Um, they were the same brand and they weren't even the same. You know, it's like, forget about that. Um, I'll use one of those just to get some reference pitch. I'll get an A. You know, then I'll I'll tune by year after that. But the 12 tones of the European Conservatory of, of what we call classic music, classical music or art music, this is a compromised system. And it wasn't the system, it was in, in even in Mozart's time, that re most as recent as that was a different system key of C major and D major were not the same scale. You know? The closer you got to C, the more in tune with the overtone series it was, the more it was naturally in tune. But anyway, it's a compromise system to put you equally out of tune in every key. It's very, very close, and it's very nice for music that changes key and has a lot of harmony in it. But when you have music that's pr primarily melodic and rhythmic, and not so much harmony, you get all these other pitches that are, we might say they're between the frets. I would say the frets are in between these, these pitches, mm -hmm. which are older pitches, and in my opinion, correspond to something in our brains that creates a completely different world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have disagreements with some fiddle players, particularly those who play old-time music, who they play in tune with the frets. And I say, those are not the right notes. Listen to the, to the older fiddlers who you learned this from. If they're no longer living, listen to the recordings. Listen to those pitches. How come they do it exactly the same every time? And how come they're in tune with all their sing the singers who lived around them? They're not wrong. You lived in West Virginia, especially Central West Virginia. You heard that. Um, those major thirds are a little bit flatter than than what the fourth fret would give you. Do you want me to show you? I got my fiddle right here. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, so. It sounds a little too sharp to me. That's what I want to hear. It's sweeter. So look, you'll hear an old-time fiddler do this. That is 
little bit higher than F natural. Why do they all do that? Are they all wrong in the same way? No, that's the note. You hear the same pitch in Irish music. Mm -hmm. The same thing with thirds. Do you know uh, The Girl That Broke My Heart? Do you ever hear that too? You no. Know. They're all a little bit different. They're all in there. Yeah. In the modal tunes, I found that awful lot with uh, between the C natural and the C sharp. You're always not on either one of those notes, often. Yeah, one, one of Alistair Fraser's students called that C supernatural. Because <laughs> it's higher than, than C natural. You know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Buddy McMaster was teaching at the Valley of the Moon fiddle camp, and um, he was doing something like. Uh, Or it's sharper of C natural. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. they said, "What are you doing there?" He said, "I'm playing the note. What is it? It's C. No, it's sharper than C. Oh, am I doing it wrong? No, I don't think so, buddy. But you're doing it every time. Um, and then you hear." You hear Gaelic singing mm -hmm. from part of Scotland where his family came from. They've got the same pitch. Uh, so the fiddle can do that. It can, the fiddle can play in tune. Yeah. Of course, it gives you, like the fretless banjo, it gives you uh, endless opportunities to play out of tune in a variety of ways. <laughs> I just did a bit of that as well. Uh, well, this is uh, interesting. Just while we're on this topic, yeah. my wife and I play together. She plays banjo, a fretted banjo. Yeah. I play fiddle. What is it about fiddle and banjo? Not fiddle and guitar and banjo, fiddle and banjo that you want to, you could tell us about. What's your thoughts on just that combination of instruments? What does it give you? What do you have to work with? Well, so first of all, it depends depends on how the banjo is set up, and it depends on whether it has frets or not, and it depends on what technique is being played. If it's a fretless banjo, then the banjo player can play in tune with the fiddle. They can get exactly the same pitches. If it's got frets and the fiddle player is playing the way it ought to go, that is those old pitches. Well, then they won't be, in, you know, they, they can be in tune with each other or not. And it depends on who the guitar player is and how aware they are. <laughs> and if they have this idea, like, you know, so-and-so didn't play any runs, so I won't. Well, you're not them. And who are you playing with? What is this banjo player like? What is this fiddle player like? The guitar can add so much. But when the guitar adds chords, it defines the music in a harmonic way that is not necessarily 
implied when you have a banjo playing the melody and some rhythm and the fiddle playing the melody and some rhythm, but neither one of them are playing much harmony. It makes things, the, the guitar chords make things more definite. It's a, it, this is here. This is here. This is a D chord. Now we got a G chord. Where it's open to interpretation, it's open-ended. Um, it's, there are more possibilities sometimes when the chord isn't there. I used to play in a duet with a Indian sitar player. His name's Krishna Bhatt. Krishna would play something, a line on the sitar, and then we were at my parents' house, my sister was there, and, and she said, then I played along, she said, gosh, it's so different when the guitar is there. We played guitar, sitar, duet, because once a harmony is built around, it's like a frame around a picture, and, except the picture is also on a canvas, but if the banjo is playing the melody and the fiddle is playing the melody, the canvas goes beyond the sky. There is no border. And the guitar, if it's played in a stupid way, can create a border. <laughs> it depends on how, on how you do it. So a trio can be so much more than a duet, but again, it depends who they are, what their intentions are, and what, what versions of the tune are they, are they playing, and are they creating it on the spot? Now, you, we were talking on the phone the other day, Joe, and I mentioned um, Chad Manning to you. So Chad's one of these guys who doesn't play a tune the same way once. I mean, he's constantly shifting, you know, and it's always in creation. It's Alistair Fraser is like that. I played guitar with Alistair, and I played guitar with Buddy McMaster. Now, I heard I was playing with Buddy throughout the 1980s, a little bit into the 90s, not much, played with him on a hundred occasions he played when he played a tune that's how he played it and i heard tapes of him in 1961 one note might have been different alistair never repeated himself because and it also depended on how i was playing guitar because he'd respond he was very very responsive um to the situation to what's going on and i'm not saying one's better than the other they're not we, Alistair and I both looked up to Buddy because um, you actually couldn't improve on his versions of these old Scottish tunes. Uh, but you know everybody's who they are. And you can only be a second-rate Buddy McMaster. But, you know, you can be first-rate Joe McHugh, maybe, you know? <laughs> well, Paul, Paul and I have been... Oh, just in this last year, after playing together a long time, banjo and fiddle, Paula has been working out much more chordal approach to the banjo. She's still playing claw hammer. Yeah, why not? And it's especially in the absence of the guitar. You sometimes you really it's, some tunes are chord based. Yeah, and you need that. Yeah, you know, play Miller's reel. Something what has no meaning without chords. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, we're we're working with that. You know, that difference between that chord versus the open. And, uh, and then sometimes maybe in the same tune. And, of course, then changing rhythms where it drives in the B part and you come back to the A part and you have to hit this lope again. I mean, everything suddenly changes. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I love this tradition. And I've uh, been doing it a long time. 
Yeah, I just, you know, uh, I love fiddle and banjo, but I don't find the, the combination particularly sacred or, or anything like it. Depends on who it is. Depends on who it is. There's not too many banjo players um, who get what I'm doing. Um, I can make it sound better. There are some. There's one guy around here that hardly anybody knows about outside of around here named Brendan Doyle. Brendan can follow me note, note for note. It's pretty amazing. He just gets it. Uh, he has great knowledge of the fingerboard. Um, it's a, a claw hammer banjo player up in Santa Rosa um, named Heath Kurtz. Do you know Heath? Heath lived, um, he and Paul Brown learned from Tommy Jarrell at the same time. They roomed together. And Heath and I just, just lock. I mean, it's just fabulous. Um, he gets the rhythmic aspect of what I'm doing, and we settle into something outstanding. Uh, but we like it with guitar as well. Kate, Kate plays guitar, a few, a few other people. Ah, it all depends. Yeah. It all depends. So going back to this fiddle lore. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. No, no, I, I, I got us off onto the banjo Rambled fiddle. Away. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, everything from dropping rattlesnake rattles inside old violins. What are some of the favorite stories? Well, I know well, one you've recorded twice, and we talked about it. I wound up writing a short story, sort of drawn on the same ballad. Right. The Two Sisters. Right, The Two Sisters. So I first heard the song, I heard Walt Koken sing it. Um, back. You don't know Walt? No. Oh, oh gosh. So... I don't know if he's the best banjo player in America, but he's you know he's certainly singular, really, really unique, wonderful clawhammer banjo player. He plays fiddle in in the Orpheus Supertones, and he used to be out here. He was the one of the two fiddlers in in the Highwood String Band. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know why I didn't. I think of his last name, but I knew him in the Highwoods. Are you aware of the of the Milner Koken co collection of fiddle tunes? Yes, that's um, the Koken. Oh, and, and the Slippery Hill? or yeah, 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 all the transcriptions and, and so on. That's oh. Walt. So I heard Walt sing this, and you know, he's he's done some great things where he's he's put some, sometimes put the the phrasing of a fiddle and the language of the fiddle on the banjo. Um, he's translated it re really nicely. Um, anyway, I heard him sing it, and I heard Ethel Rame sing it all within about a month. And they had both heard a recording of Kilby Snow doing it with those, playing auto harp and, and singing it, but I hadn't heard that. And so I remembered pieces of it, and I thought, well, this is a really good melody and a really good story. And so I did research, and I found every printed version I could find. From the Appalachian style, but also the Scottish? Also in Scottish, also in England, and also um, it's... There's a number of English versions, and, and um, mm. I got the coherent story from all the... It's, I just found every printed version I could. And in some of them, there's ten verses before the older sister pushes the other, the other one in the water. There's <laughs> all this... There's a whole... All this stuff about the courtship and how jealous the one was of the other, and one sister is getting presents. See, they had the... The other one wasn't. They were... They were in love with the same guy, and he was interested in the younger one. Finally, she goes behind and pushes her in the water. 
So I start the song there. They were two little sisters come a-walking down the stream. Oh, the wind and rain. One came behind, pushed the other one in, crying, oh, the dreadful wind and rain. That's how it starts. Never mind. Too much, too much back history. And she floats. She drowns and she floats and the miller sees her. And his children think it's a swan. Her body, uh, the white clothes maybe, floating. And, and he pulls her out with a hook and sees what she is. And at this point, a fiddler comes by. And he makes fiddle pegs out of her finger bones and, and makes a fiddle bow of her long hair and he makes a little fiddle of her little breastbone. And he made a little fiddle of her little breastbone. Oh, the wind and rain, whose sound would melt a heart of stone, crying, oh, the dreadful wind and rain. And the only tune that fiddle would play was, oh, the wind and rain, the only tune that fiddle would play was, Oh, the dreadful wind and rain. So when I, and I ended there, but when I heard that, it reminded me of Ulysses' bow. Nobody could pull it back, and I looked into this, and a fiddle wouldn't play except this tune. So I found the oldest versions, you know, um, not in print, but descriptions of them, and I don't know what language they're in. And I don't, apparently there's even Persian versions of this story. But she gets made into a harp, and the harp was the big instrument in Scotland before the fiddle came in. And the harp is mute. It has strings, but it won't make any sound. But... The sister who did the murder happens to be where the harp is, which is the hall of the king. She's there for some reason. And then, not only does the harp play, but it sings. And what it sings is, she pushed me in, she's the one who did it. All in, all in meter and rhyme. So I tried in my version to sort of hint at that. I don't, it's not overt, um, but I, I, it was in my mind anyway. When I put together my version, it was the middle 70s or early 70s, and I had two ways of doing it. One was a straightforward song. I recorded it um, with Hank Bradley playing fiddle, and uh, we, we did it as a medley with um, a pipe tune uh, called The Pinch of Snuff. And he, he went, went right into that. Um, it went very, very nicely together. But then at the same time, I, I, um, I also play um, the, uh, the oud, the Middle Eastern double-strung instrument called oud, and, uh, or aoud. And uh, I did an oud version also. Um, and that grew into a very, very long version with, with um, a prelude, with extra words in the prelude, um, and to a different melody, and, and then a, a uh, coda.
another part at the end. So it's it's long. I think it's 12, 13 minutes, something like that. It, it, 10 minutes, I don't know. And I put that on a, a an album in um, maybe 25 years later called 11 Ballads. Oh, the Wind and Rain, 11 Ballads. Martha Lewis is this... Uh, really amazing painter and she painted one panel for almost I think for nine of the eleven ballads and that was reproduced in the booklet also uh, I'll show you in fact I'll give, I'll give you a copy it's uh, right. good. so um, that's about all I can think of to say about it uh, I've never done it on the fiddle I've had other, last time I sang this, um, I was teaching at this camp in Mount Shasta. It's now the only camp I teach. I do it once a year. It takes, uh, takes too much out of me to go to these camps. Um, it uh, just wears me out. But I, I get energized from this because the students are so good. Mm-hmm. Some of them are as old as 25 or even 30, but most of them are, are teenagers or younger. And they can learn ah, in five minutes. What it, what I, after a week of teaching adults around the country, they still don't get what, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I tell these kids, try it like this. Well, you mean like this? I say, yep, yeah. Um, anyway, I did it up on performance there. And a Tashina Claridge, and she'd gathered about a dozen fiddle players. And they got up on stage while I was singing it. To me, it felt like they, they were floating on stage. I, I suddenly was aware of them surrounding me, all playing fiddle. And then at a certain point, I said, you know, kind of looked at them, you play it for a while. It was about 12 ghostly fiddles. Oh. It's a great sound. Yeah, that is. But the, this idea of the fiddle singing out is a deep idea. Huh, huh. It's... it's it's reminding me of another story. The fiddle doesn't play by itself, though. But do you know John Johnny Doherty's story about um, the black mare of Fanid? Mm-hmm. You can see him tell it, tell a version on on YouTube. It's kind of nice to see him actually telling it. That's a very good tune. It's it goes between uh, between D and C to real. There was a um, a fiddle player they called Fiddler Doyle. And he was up in Donegal, and he was coming home from a dance, and he got to a certain crossroad. He was riding on this black mare, and um, either probably from Fanet or he lived in Fanet, a place up there. And there's a, a ghostly druid who had hung out in that crossroad. I mean, that's other people had had seen it, him before, and the horse saw it before Fiddler Doyle did, and the horse got very very anxious, and started to rear up, and he said, so he said, oh, come on, we'll, we'll we'll speed home, and so this this spirit creature chased them. And then went as fast as he could possibly go, and it just kept up with him the whole time. But when he got to where he lived, the 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 druid would not leave the road. And so when he turned into the house where he lived and and the barn, 
where he lived, they'd stop chasing him. He, so he put the horse in the stable and he went up to bed, but he couldn't get to sleep because the rhythm of the horse's hoofs was Im implanted in his mind. He had this rhythm and it was keeping him up. So he got out of bed and got down his fiddle and put those rhythms to a tune to make himself get it out of his system and he created this this new tune and he, he said well you know that says one good horse I'll call, you know, I'll call it the black mare I found it so in the morning he went down to see his horse had been through a bigger ordeal than he had and he went down to see how it was and every hair on the horse was white <laughs> yeah <laughs> well why don't we finish up with the blind fiddler tell that song yeah. that okay so um, there was a singer in, in Arkansas named Emma Dusenberry. And um, I've only heard her sing three or four songs, and she has really good versions. They're all well-known ballads, but her versions are different. You know, uh, Golden Vanity, like for instance, she's got a verse I never heard before. Some were playing cards and some were reading checks and the next thing you know there's water to the next as they sailed upon the low and the lonesome low as it sailed upon the lonesome sea. Uh, playing cards and reading checks. <laughs> uh, so she recorded for the Library of Congress um, and I can't remember the fellow who... who did the recording, he, you know, he brought a portable, might have been an early tape recorder, it was late 40s, might have been tape, not wire, and he gave her a present of a cow, and she was a blind, blind singer, one of the songs she sang was a blind fiddler, Pete Seeger recorded it on an early LP, my friend Dan Hamburg learned it from there, I learned it from Dan, and I probably changed the melody a little bit, and I've never heard Emma Dusenberry sing it. I've heard her sing other things, so I don't know if my melody is quite what what um, hers was. But it's three verses. It's it's. Um, I lost my eyes in the blacksmith shop in the year of fifty-six. While dusting out a tea planch that was out of fix, it bounded from the tongs and it there revealed my doom. I am a blind fiddler and far from my home. I've been to San Francisco, I've been to Dr. Lane. He operated on one of my eyes, but nothing could be gained. He said that I would never see, and there's no use to mourn. I am a blind fiddler and far from my home. I have a wife and three little ones who now depend on me. To share in all my troubles, whatever they may be. I hope that they'll be happy while I'm condemned to roam. I am a blind fiddler and far from my home.
But that's all I know. That Pretty whole, complete, just the three verses. Yeah, it, it tells the story. And it, you think, you know, the idea of the blind harper, uh, this, yeah. going back to Homer, right. uh, the blind poet, this right. idea that there's something gained in that loss. But this, this song doesn't, this song has just a, just a lot of sorrow. Yeah. A burden. And, and yeah. you talked about that because I'd heard one version of this. I don't know if it was uh, where it was a pistol that was, he was working on. But you, what was the a, item, the object? A tea planch, P-L-A-N-C-H. And what was it's that? A, it's an old blacksmith implement. I forget what it, what it does. I researched mm -hmm. it. Uh, first, I thought I misheard it. It was a flange. No, it's a tea planch. Deep Have was, you, uh, did you, did you know Craig Johnson? Yeah. Yeah. A good singer. Ooh. Oh, man. Really good. good. And a good uh, writer of songs. This, I haven't, I haven't heard his songs. Oh, he's got one about a fiddler and, and who worked in the, uh, in the mills, in, in the, in the furniture factories. Uh -huh. And loses fingers to, mm. uh, to a bandsaw. He's forced to leave his farm. Um, it's a great song. Uh, really good song, and and then, you know, it ends with the fiddle hanging on the wall because he he can't play it anymore. And, uh, you know, I, well, this is a this is true to life. Did did you know who George Shuffler was? Do you know about George? Mm -mm. George Shuffler played first bass and then guitar with the Stanley Brothers, and he he has tremendous sense of rhythm. Um, so I was teaching a class in Bluegrass Week at Augusta Heritage many years ago, and George came in for two or three days. So I sort of had to, um, I was uh, in charge of him, as it were, you know, and ask questions and things like that and, and uh, encourage the students to interact more. And uh, so somebody said, well, what made you decide to be, you know, a musician? I said, that's easy. And I can't remember just which town he's, you know, from. Um, but it's in that part of North Carolina where there's quite a few textile mills. He said, well, I could work at the mill, you know, five days a week for very long hours. Or I could play one music gig and in, in two and a half hours I'd make what I'd make in a week at the mill. And we're talking about $8. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was a whole lot more than it was, than it was at the mill, which was in pennies per hour. Um, just reminded me, you know, of, of this, about musicians in the mill and, and what, what their choices are. And, you know, he was, had to be away from his family, like the blind fiddler in my song, to, to make a living. He was condemned to Rome to make a living, but he could support his kids better that way. You see. Let's listen to Jody now perform just a portion of the ballad, Oh, the Wind and Rain, while playing the oud.
her two little sisters come a-walking down the stream Oh, the wind and rain One came behind, pushed the other one in Crying, oh, the dreadful wind and rain Johnny gave the youngest one a gay gold ring Oh, the wind and rain Wouldn't give the oldest one anything Crying, oh, the dreadful wind and Pushed her in the river to drown Oh, wind and rain Then watched her as she floated down Crying, oh, the dreadful wind and about the about the, the fiddle yeah i'd like to know the one you're playing well i've had i've had a few fiddles um i only have one that, that's this one it has no name in it 
everyone who sees it, the experts who see it, say it's American. They say that it's it's um, probably an early attempt by the maker because you can see some tool marks on the back um, a little bit. Someone more skilled, you wouldn't see that. Others have disagreed. They say, no, I think they did that on purpose. One opinion was that this was made by someone in the Puget Sound area uh, who was a Native American, someone that was known to them. That's never been backed up by any evidence. I don't, you know, just, it just was somebody's opinion. My, my first fiddle um, belonged to my paternal grandfather. I talked about it, and that was stolen. Um, I had borrowed a fiddle I like better from a fellow I met in North Carolina. He said, well, keep it for a few, you know, keep it a few months or a few years, and when we meet again, give it back. And I, I was, I had a trial breakup with my girlfriend at the time. We're talking about, um, 68, something like that. And she wanted to learn to play fiddle. So I said, well, look, here, take, take his fiddle back, and you're more likely to see, I was in California, she was back on the East Coast. You're more likely to see this fellow. Give it back to him if you see him. Okay. And she came out to see me and brought it with her. And it was stolen out of her hands here in San Francisco. Stolen out of her hands? Yes. How'd that happen? Three kids just swiped, you know, swooped down out of an alley and she, being the way she was, chased them, but she couldn't, you know, get to it. So it was gone. So she was walking down the street with the I was case. there, the two of us, yeah. And it was in a case. Yeah. So that was the f- didn't belong to me. Oh. So I gave my grandfather's fiddle to her. When you go back east, you know, this has to go to him because it was a debt, you know. So I lost my grandfather's fiddle, which was no great fiddle, but it was my grandfather's fiddle. But what, what can I do? I had no money. Couldn't, you know, this is... My only alternative. So I had no fiddle for a while. And then I had, um, do you know Nancy Doles? She's an old-time fiddle player. Um, she lives back east. She she um, filmed Tommy Jarrell with some kind of lights on, on his right hand so you could see, in, in, in the yeah. dark, so you could see the patterns that his bow made. Yeah, I've heard of that. That's Nancy. Nancy's grandfather played fiddle. She gave me her grandfather's fiddle. Cause, um, and again, it was no great fiddle. But, you know, she heard me play fiddle. This is 69, 68, maybe 1970. She was out here then. Um, uh, she was seeing a friend of mine. That's how I knew her. And, and you know, nice to hear that. She just had it. She didn't play at the time. It was... Nice to hear that played. Um, Nan- Franny Leopold has that fiddle now. I don't know if you know about her. Uh, she's a good guitar player up in Mendocino County, one of my oldest friends. And then um, I didn't have a fiddle for a while. I had, I had that one. It didn't put out much sound, not, not at all. Then back east, I'm, I met a girl named Tess. And Tess gave me this fiddle, the one I have here. And I didn't know her for very long. She was just a lovely girl, and, and so were her own daughters. They were a bunch of, bunch of kids. She gave me this, and it was brown, just like paint. She looked like it was covered with shoe polish. And 
I played it that way for some years. I was touring first. I may get I may get my chronology a little mixed up here, you know. But these these events that I'm about to tell you are very close to each other. I was in Donegal, in the north of Ireland. I was in Ballybuffet, in Givens Pub, and I met Danny O'Donnell. Um, when you meet Queen McKee, Kevin McKee. He'll tell you about Danny O'Donnell. Mm -hmm. And he just heard there was an American fiddle player. He wanted to, you know, know what that was all about. I, I think I played Cluck Old Hand for him and something. He said, ah, that'd be like playing for a Canadian barn dance. You know, our, our Irish fiddling is another thing entirely. Would you mind giving me a go on it? So I gave him the fiddle. He played Miss um, McLeod's reel in the key of G for about five minutes. And I had no idea that such sound was in this instrument. I thought it was good enough for me. I was uh, fond of it, but I had no idea it could speak like that. It just got an incredible sound from it. And did he think so too? Did he say anything? He said, this is a nice fiddle. Did you pay a lot for it? <laughs> I don't know what I said. I said, I've never been in a position in my life to pay a lot for anything. I mean, my answer was something like that, no. I said, it was given to me. Ah, well, you're lucky. It's a very nice fiddle. Shortly after that, I met a fiddle maker, a violin maker in Switzerland. And he said, would you mind if I, I, I see where your sound post is. Would you mind if I moved it? I can move it back if you don't like the sound. And I think there's something mo more in here. And he moved the sound post and I didn't like it. He said, well, that's odd because I moved it to where it ought to be. But... Where you've got it is the better sound. Then I moved to a different place in Mendocino County, and my next-door neighbor was a luthier. He was, he, was uh, he trained violin making at the school in Salt Lake City, and mostly he made basses and cellos. Um, it broke his heart to see much, see so much maple shavings on the floor. There was like three violins were worth uh, when you make a cello or a bass or so much scrap, but he he decided to do that anyway. And he took a look at this and he said, "What is this? What is this paint and shoe polish all over here?" He says, "Do you mind if I take a rag and some alcohol to this?" And I said, "Well, I guess you know what you're doing." And underneath there was actually, you know, some figured maple and a grain of, of spruce on the top. And it improved the sound, you know. So he gently, he gently removed whatever was on there, and it, and then this thing really began to speak. Then I began to get comments from classical violinists, which really surprised me. You know, I said, "Well, this has got you know, really good tone." Because I mean, I, I don't play what they would think is correctly. My my left hand is is ergonomically nonsensical. I I um. I jam my wrist into in, the heel of the thing, and that's exactly how Buddy McMaster played, and he's my fiddling hero. You you play with the pads of the finger then instead of the tip, and it gives a much broader tone. Basically, you play with your tip, you get a pointed tone. You play with a flat finger, you get a wide tone. This is no matter how you bow. 
Um, it makes no sense energetically. It makes no sense ergonomically. And if I could start again, I would, I would use the tips and bend my wrist more. But you know, I, I play wrong. Uh, but it's you know typical fiddle way, fiddler way of playing. Uh, so I've I've had other fiddles since then. You know, uh, I had a. Um, he was. Well, it doesn't matter. I don't have them anymore. <laughs> I, I had one that was it was this big, big, oversized, blonde fiddle. Uh, Mike Seeger loved it, and he bought it from me. And then he returned it. Said it's too loud. It's it's driving him crazy. He can't couldn't play it. Um, and you know what? Could, could, could you give me my money back? I, yeah, sure, I'll take it back. And and uh, one of my students has has that one now. And it turned out, if you looked at it carefully, it was only the top and the back that were big. Where the sides were would be in the more or less the normal place. The margins were long. Mm-hmm. And flat, you know, you see how tiny the margins are here? They just hang out a little bit. This is like, you know, a six-lane highway for fleas. I mean, it was wide and flat. It's like, a, you know, a, the, the maker forgot to trim it with the scissors. <laughs> That's what it looked like. Uh, that had a big sound, very, very, very big sound. I rec recorded one album with that. Uh, I had a red one from the... Between the Wars from Germany, a factory fiddle that was quiet, relatively quiet, but oh, what a voice. Really, really beautiful. Um, a student of Chad's got that one. I, I started thinning the herd a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I don't uh, really need more than one fiddle. So I just, uh, this is one's been with me for so many, for so long, and, and uh, I like its voice, and so there it is. I would I, my bow is pretty good. I wouldn't mind having a better bow. Uh, I one time played a Voirin. Voirin à Paris. You know that? V o i r i n. Yes, I think I. Oh my goodness! I could do anything I wanted. If I thought about it, it would do it. That's the part about bows that's such a surprise. Especially, I think fiddlers. I know for myself, play for years, and then it, the realization comes of what the bow's all about. I, I mean, at least in the world that I was in, in learning this old music, people very seldom talked about bows. It was the fiddle and uh, the tone, but um, then but you I've, begin I've to I played some, it. you know, replicas of famous bows m made out of um, synthetic materials, you know, where you can get an $80,000 bow for $300, you know, but I don't like the feel in my hand. They, they perform fabulously, you know, really, really good. The tone isn't as complex somehow, even though it's the same horsehair, but pretty good. But it, the, the, for one thing, when you get it on a cold morning, when you get it out of the case, it's not cold. I mean, it, it doesn't respond. I'm, I'm used to it warming up in my hand and, and reacting with my hand, being living material, being wood. And it's inert, and it it gives me the creeps. <laughs> so, but to tell you the truth, you know, when I've used those after ten minutes of playing, I cease to notice. I don't notice I'm, you know, that at all. But I've never gone after a synthetic bow. A lot of people are now using those uh, when they have to travel overseas and dealing with issues of ivory and bows yeah, possibly being yeah. uh, confiscated. They 
which I did. I took a trip to to Italy and took a, a synthetic bow, carbon fiber. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, very durable, very useful, nice. Nice performance. I mean, it's yeah. responsive. It's really, uh, but the same thing. After a while, it's always the same tone. It's uh, I, I, yeah, I it's more restricted. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't have the variation. Yeah, so it's a good good tool for rhythm, but but uh, doesn't express quite the same like Pernambuco does. Yeah. Jody, thank you very much. So you're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Uh, me too, and I'm thank you for thinking of me. I had to have you <laughs> part of this. Thank you for listening to Roz and the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Roz and the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. To learn more about the Rosin the Bow Project and find links to other podcasts, please visit our website, rosinthebow.org. We would also like to thank the kind folks at the Graduate Berkeley Hotel. They gave us a great place to stay, and we really enjoyed our visit. And we say goodbye to this episode, not with a quote this time, but a part of a song performed by Jody Stecker and Kate Brislin. It is titled, Won't You Come and Sing for Me? Say
heart, how precious the moment we stood shaking.